0: Since i wandered from my home, in those Oklahoma hills where I was born, many page of life I've turned, many a lesson I have learned, still I feel like in those hills I still
1: belong.
0: What
1: is up everybody and welcome to another episode of Red State Blues. I am your Halloween hungover host, uh, Devo here, uh, coming to you live from my couch. Uh, we are on zoom today. Uh, we're on zoom for a couple reasons today. Uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, we, we're just, you know, dealing with COVID stuff, but we also have our good friend, uh, Belsky on today to break down some numbers, uh, coming to us live from, uh, Ohio, uh, and, uh, As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel the Political Manual. Dan, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. We're ready to bring
2: the fire today and bring the fire on Tuesday as well. Um, I would say, you know, I'm excited to vote, but just like the rest of America, I have already voted
1: I would say that I am excited to vote because I am and I thank you the rest of America for going and voting early because that means I'm going to be like two people at my polling place on Tuesday and I'll be able to go in and vote in five minutes while all those suckers stood outside for two hours. It'll be just you and the Trumpsters at the polls on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think uh, from your experience, though, uh, voting, were not there quite a few Trumpsters out there voting as well? Well, they weren't wearing masks. I could only assume they were the Trumpsters. Yeah. It's kind of kind of the easy uh, pull tell, I guess. Is and that.
2: the and the sweatpants on a Thursday afternoon at three o'clock.
1: Uh, well now let's not go judging that sweatpant life. That's a little that's a little rough. We don't want to judge it weren't life. coming from the office. Oh, uh, okay. Well, you know, maybe they're just you know, maybe they're working from home. Who knows? Right. You know, it's that's the, the biggest challenge this year is uh, putting on pants, you know, after you have to go do stuff. You know? for being locked down so much. But yes, we are joined by Belski. Belski, how you doing up there in O H I O?
0: Man, good guys. Just want to hope you realize, Evo that you are the new Triple H. You just called yourself the new Triple H Halloween hungover host.
1: No, there so, you go. I am the new Triple H Halloween hungover. Yeah. I am sort of like the Vince McMahon of SoundS Tooth, so uh, you know, <laughs> that that that's that's all, also there. Uh, but no, uh, we are in November. We are just 2 days away from the election maybe uh many more days away from knowing who won the election um but uh but certainly uh, and i guess that will go for you know uh lots of the elections we're going to talk about uh maybe not so much like uh, well i don't know uh we have all sorts of things on the ballot so i assume it's going to affect uh, all the early and uh mail in votes are going to affect everything up and down the ballot uh, so let's uh let's get into it before well you know i think uh let's do a little news roundup before we get into races uh and uh i was completely busy yesterday and i missed this story but uh daniel uh and obviously cuz he's done it cover to cover but uh daniel yesterday was telling us about uh apparently the biden bus ran into some issues in the great state of texas yeah apparently it's not
2: safe anymore to be riding with biden thanks to the trump idiots in their f450 trucks um with multiple flag mounts for um Trump flag on the left of me confederate to the right. Here I am on the Trump train. Um, Yeah, they tried to run the Biden bus, the Biden Harris bus off of um, I-35 in Texas. Um, Clearly, our president was very upset by this and retweeted the video to show his disapproval and said, I love Texas. So that's where we're at. I think it is going to be a harbinger of things to come. post november 3rd um when the bad news starts piling up for the trumpsters i think there will be a call to action there will be no more standing down Um, i think all all those people of that ilk are going to there's going to be a call to um call to arms a call to weaponize and i'm not looking forward to that part of it but the one way we can avoid that is of course um with a decisive victory that does not require counting All of the mail-in ballots that are um, going to still be um, around on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this upcoming week. So if we can win the election on Tuesday, I think we can avoid outright win it on Tuesday. We can avoid some of the um, Trumpsters crying foul and taking to the streets. So I think it's vital that we do run it up on Tuesday.
0: Speaking of that, are you guys worried about violence on Election Day from quote unquote poll watchers, especially in swing areas or maybe heavily, you know, heavily black or Hispanic areas that have white areas near enough by to have these Trumpsters come through? I'm, I'm worried that Trump is stoking these these flames and there are still enough precincts where something really awful could happen.
2: Well, I think round one is voter intimidation, which is what you're talking of. Um, and then, you know, yes, I am concerned about that. I think that will be an issue. I think, you know, it'll be time to get your long rifles. I know, um, a lot of Trumpsters get upset if you call them assault rifles. So, um, because they're hug rifles, they don't assault people. They hug them, I guess. I don't know. But, um, the assault rifle term is very offensive to some people. Um, but they'll bring their, their love rifles out, their long love rifles, and, um, they'll post up at a lot of um minority heavy polling places i'm sure and yeah yeah, i'm concerned about that
0: i think luckily in in a practical way you know to kind of circle back to the actual vote um the elect project which is what i look at to see early voting numbers which is collected by a university of florida professor it now shows that there have been 93 million early votes and the states that release party affiliation show that it's like, you know, a a two to one Democrat to Republican. Um, and obviously, you know, independent voters are probably more likely to split towards Democrats than Republicans. Um, so the fact is that Trump trying to delegitimize vote by mail, he's really, really shot himself in the foot. I think in a lot of cases, because, you know, a lot maybe some of these voters can't get out or they don't want to get out now or they can't vote by you know they can't vote by mail because it's too late um but i don't know i'm still i'm still worried about a lot of things but in a scenario where a legitimate election is not contested uh we're we're good at this point and we'll talk about that more
2: right yeah i i saw um i was in a a, a chat separate from this um, From this pod That actually does have um, A few of our loyal listeners in it um, Shout out to Timmy and Lucas Timmy and Lucas and Luca. um, Yeah, Tim and Lucas Shout out um, Yeah, but I There was a, a troll in this um, This chat that I was in And so I actually had to research um, Pennsylvania to see um, mail-in breakdowns and apparently it's three to one Democrat to Republican as of yesterday in Pennsylvania 1.5 million um, Democrats had submitted um, mail-in ballots as opposed to 500,000 uh, Republicans so I mean if they decide to actually count those um, it's going to be a, a,
0: a runaway yeah so, I'm looking at those numbers right now. That's that's incredible. 1.57 million to just 542 thousand in in Pennsylvania. So, look, I mean, which, which does cause me some some
2: consternation because um, I feel like there is a a, a chance that on Tuesday night um, Pennsylvania is leaning slightly to Trump based off because they cannot open the ballots in Pennsylvania until election day. So there are 2 million ballots that have been turned in, in Pennsylvania, and they cannot begin to open the envelopes and, you know, flatten out the ballots until Tuesday. And so obviously those ballots will be counted last. And so we're going to get a, an unclear picture of how Pennsylvania voted on Tuesday night. And so when that happens, I could see Trump wheeling out Bill Barr and saying, stop the vote. These are tainted ballots. I'm up by, you know, 0.3% based off um, Tuesday voting alone. Let's not count these extra 2 million ballots that were turned in as of yesterday, which would. Yeah, which calling the election into question is one of his only two strategies. Um, The other one being, of course, voter suppression, which if people are dropping ballots in the mailbox, Um, is not going to work as well as he had hoped. So his next step is to invalidate the um, 1.5 million Democrat ballots that are sitting at election headquarters waiting to be opened.
0: Exactly.
1: The one thing that we could take away from this, though, is knowing those numbers, depending on what, uh, if you go back to those Pennsylvania numbers, like knowing what comes in from Pennsylvania on Tuesday, we can essentially add a million votes to whatever the Democratic total is. Right. Theoretically. Like, um, so one, in, in, that, in that regard, I'm saying that, you, you know, there could be a, we, if, if, this, if these statistics are correct, and these are the ballots that have been returned, we're going to probably assume that- They are.
0: This is public information. Okay.
1: So we're going to assume that that 1.573 million uh is uh, effectively 1.573 million votes for for Joe Biden right i'll and,
0: say let's say 1.4 i mean there're weird people that don't change their party affiliation that just stay democrats let's let's call yeah. it
1: 1.4 yeah so so even then we if it's you know if it's looking like close on tuesday night and even trump's ahead but if he's ahead by like 20,000 we can just kind of assume um, yeah and, you know that's just a logical uh Right, right. Hence, hence why I think, um, you
2: know, the Trump um, ballot counters and vote counters are also going to see, you know, have come to that um, conclusion as well. And so that's why I think they will roll Bill Barr out and say, you know, we are, you know, we're stopping the election now, even though it would be completely unlawful for them to do that hasn't stopped them in the past. Um, I I think that's what's going to happen Tuesday night if there's just a ray of sunshine where Trump appears to be in the lead on Tuesday night, he's going to attempt to shut, shut it down and not count those ballots.
0: Yeah. I mean, luckily, and I think that is totally in play. And I think they definitely do want to do that. Um, But luckily, like when you look at the, how Pennsylvania fits in with the electoral map, I think a lot of people have said, you know, how, how Pennsylvania goes, so will the nation go. And, I actually, this time around, don't necessarily think that's true. And luckily that means Pennsylvania is a little bit less important because of a lot of states, not just these two, but in part Arizona and North Carolina where Trump absolutely needs those, Ohio too, to a lesser extent, because I think there's less, less of a chance that um, Biden would get the lovely state of Ohio here. But um, like when you look at the electoral map, Michigan and Wisconsin, those flip back to Biden, assuming that that happens. Um, and Then if we get Arizona, we're going to know about Arizona the night of. And we're going to know about 95% of North Carolina the night of because Arizona, their tallying begins 14 days before election day, but results may not be released before all precincts are reporting. I'm actually looking at a really great resource um, from the National Conference of State Legislatures that has all of the mail ballot processing counting procedures state by state. And Arizona is one that is so hugely important for us, not only for, you know, the presidency, but the Senate. Um, And there's a huge chance that that's going to flip blue. And if and when that does, you know, Trump is in big, big, big trouble because it's a state that he absolutely needs and Biden really doesn't need it. Now, it would be thought of as an upset, actually, if Trump would win Arizona at this point, um, according to conventional wisdom. So it would be a blow to Biden in that respect. But for electoral math purposes with Arizona's 11 electoral votes, I believe um, it's going to mm-hmm. be you know, huge uh, if, if that goes down. And we'll know about Arizona the night of. I also said something about North Carolina, which um, two weeks prior to election day, the hour and place of the counting is announced. The results should not be announced before 7.30 p.m. on election day. So we're gonna know um, a vast majority of, of votes, I think other than maybe absentee overseas ballots, which North Carolina, there may be more of those because it's a you know big military state. But um, outside of those, we're gonna know about North Carolina and that fits the same exact bill as Arizona as far as one that Trump needs, Trump had last time, a Senate seat that's up for grabs that could very likely flip to us. And if it's called for Biden the night of, you know, there's nothing he can do. So that's before,
2: getting, for sure. And that's where I'm hopeful. I don't even believe we've mentioned the F word. I don't know if we can say the F word on here, um, but Florida, I mean, is not... You know, it's less, the the polls are showing it a lot tighter and less uh, friendly for Biden than, say, the Arizona polls, but it's still very much in play, and that would be game over at, you know, 8 p.m. on Tuesday night
0: mm-hmm. if,
2: if it were to, you know, go Biden's way. So, I mean, there are so many turns that, you know, if this was like a choose-your-own-adventure book, where if Trump was reading a book, I know that's a, a stretch in and of itself, <laughs> but... If you were reading Choose Your Own Adventure book, there are so many turns where, if he were to make this turn, i.e., Arizona, losing Arizona, losing North Carolina, losing Florida, any one of those would be, you know, he falls off the cliff and it's over. So, any,
0: exactly. Trump needs all of them. Biden needs any one of them. That's where, that's why Trump's election was so shocking in so many ways because. He did get to 270, and his path was incredibly narrow even then. And he got there. He got there by, I need to look at the raw numbers, but like 70 to 90,000 votes when you combine Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Um, And like. That that would not even fill up the big
2: house in Michigan. Right. That wouldn't fill (laughs) up one football stadium.
0: It was less than 11,000 in Michigan. And here's what I'll say about one of the things I said earlier about. Michigan and Wisconsin and the fact that they're foregone conclusions for Biden. Like, look, the polls were wrong in 2016. They weren't as wrong as, as some folks would like to think because there are margins of error. They they were largely
2: within the margin of error. Yeah, they were.
0: Um, But in like a state like Michigan, um, it was maybe four to 5% Hillary, the final polling average. Right now the polling averages averages which you were talking, we were talking about um trafalgar before the podcast that's a right-leaning um pollster and they're actually dragging these averages up for trump but Minis- michigan is at 8.9 percent wisconsin is at 8.2 percent for biden the polls need to be three times as wrong in the exact same way that they were wrong when in 2016 it was you know two new players. And in this time it's an incumbent um, who's running for reelection. So Michigan and Wisconsin are absolutely Biden's period. So we just need 11 more to tie after that. Um, Arizona, right there. Arizona and, and look at, and we're looking at um, my master spreadsheet, um, which has all the races and polling averages and stuff. 're looking
2: there are a couple places you can find and you can follow along at home if you're scoring at home. Um, you can go to at wrong lines um, on Twitter. you can go to the red blue pod Twitter page. Um, there are all sorts of places to find the master list from our polling specialist Mr. Bell.
0: <laughs> but man like it's just it's okay to be hopeful. And I think the Biden campaign was run so much better than the Clinton campaign. And obviously you can't compare them because the Biden campaign happened in its response to the Clinton campaign and the fear of not getting out there. But they've done a wonderful job of getting out all the get out to vote efforts, going in all the swing states, the swing cities, maximizing on turnout in the suburbs and the cities, trying to still pick off the little rural voters that they know have been screwed over by COVID and and Trump's economy and Trump's really, and he says America first, but you know, he doesn't put American workers first. So all those messages that he's got now build back better. Um, He doesn't even need all of those people. He just needs, uh, you know, 10,000 plus people in Michigan, which um, I think was like two to three people per precinct. Okay. And,
2: yeah, I, I think, you know, people hear 10,000 and it's hard to quantify that um, in a um, election standpoint. I don't know if you have your the totals of how many people voted in 16 in Michigan.
0: Just on just under 4.8 million.
2: So we need 10,001 of 4.8 million people. That means I mean, I'm not a statistician. I'd have to ask Alexa what those numbers are what the percentage is, but we need like one out of every thousand people who voted for Trump to just stay home. And thank
1: you. Like, stop.
0: <laughs> Alexa uh, responded.
1: I got uh, I got sidetracked, guys. I was looking at a political party affiliation by county in the state of Oklahoma, and I was trying to discern the most Democratic county in the state of Oklahoma uh, here. Probably
0: Oklahoma at this point,
1: right? Oh, no, the- no. Now, voting. As far as reg- registrations, uh, Oklahoma County is one hundred fifty-one thousand Democrat to one hundred seventy-eight thousand uh, Republican. There are seventy-five thousand Independents in uh, in that county. Oklahoma has uh, a total three. Uh, we have seven hundred thirty-eight thousand uh, Democrats, one million registered Republicans, uh, eleven thousand Libertarians and 332,000 independents so a yeah, pretty massive chunk of independence but no the uh it bears out pretty much as it, it logistically or uh makes sense that most of the counties that have a democratic lien are also uh tribal seat counties mm-hmm. uh, so it, it's basically the native american vote coming in uh, and if you're wondering about tulsa Tulsa is currently sitting at 113,000 Democrats and 172,000 Republicans with 56,000 independents. So there you go. Uh, that's little, crazy. A little, little sidetrack. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just, I, I've always been overwhelmed by the amount of independent people that are registered as independent. You know? Well, that's why
2: in, o- in Oklahoma, the Democratic Party, to try to expand their tent, um, allows Allowed. To vote in their primaries now. Yep. To try to give them some ownership. But anyway, um, yeah, just to put a, a bow on all the, um, the swing state, the uh the Rust Belt, um, that is secure Biden territory without a doubt. Rust Belt
1: is going strong for for Biden. This so, is going. So let me let me ask this, just because I think this is a. Uh, you know, the narrative and, and, and Belsky hit on it uh, a little bit there earlier. Uh, but the narrative that we've been getting all week is, uh, or, you know, last couple weeks is this election lives and dies by Pennsylvania. Well, for evaluate, Trump. evaluate the truth of that statement
2: Or Trump. Well, Um, For Trump, yes, it lives and dies by Pennsylvania. There are many roads, um, as we just mentioned, Arizona, North Carolina, even Florida. um, Georgia and
0: Texas.
2: Georgia and Texas. um, All those are ways that um, Biden is, he's leading in many of those polls, and the others are toss-ups within the margin of error, um, that he can win without Pennsylvania. So um, no Biden does not need Pennsylvania. But again, Pennsylvania, like I said, in the choose your own Trump adventure re-election book, um, losing Pennsylvania is a fall off the cliff death moment to his campaign.
0: Right. And and we. Yes, exactly what what Daniel just said. And I think, too, like there some of the other paths that we didn't talk about was Georgia. Like, I very strongly believe that Biden will win Georgia. I'm more confident that he'll win Georgia than Florida because Florida, as we know, is so flippy floppy. You know, the Hispanics that are in that state are much different than Hispanics in other states. Well, and let's just, let's just they're scared what, of socialism.
1: No, no let's, um, say, let's just say what it is. It's it's the affluent Cuban population. Yeah. Of oh, Florida, no doubt. So, I, I mean, I, I hate to use well, that. I don't want to use that broad swath of Hispanics. It's yeah. the affluent Cuban population that doesn't, like democratic policy towards cuba and so they you know skew to the republican party and they have lots of money
2: so yeah
1: they're they're the old rican
2: population in florida goes hard for biden
1: that's right but the puerto rican population doesn't have the same amount of money to fund campaigns and and information uh in florida because you are dealing with the cuban population that fled cuba you know, and they have all that old, you know, Batista money, basically. Uh, right. and I don't, I don't mean the pro wrestler Batista. I mean Bautista. He's uh, from DC. Yeah, we um, were talking about a coffee maker for a minute. <laughs> no, I threw those coffee makers out the window. Right? Were we supposed to do that? Like, no, not like a coffee make,
2: like a human that makes coffee, a barista. Oh, a barista. Okay. Uh,
0: but the, but to circle back though, like yeah, for for that reason and just the diverse population, even you know the old old people um, on both sides, retirees, like is just a really, really weird state as everyone knows and almost impossible to, to predict. But Georgia, like Georgia, you can see the trend lines from Hillary in 2016, Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp in 2018, that gubern- got gubernatorial race that a lot of people know about, like where the turnout was record high and it was a razor thin race. And we now know that a lot of the votes and people that were registered that were thrown out that couldn't vote um you know were done illegitimately so by kemp himself who was the secretary of state both the referee and the player in the election right this this time around and
1: i so my point in illustrating that election uh both the referee and the player who is he lebron james oh tim
0: tim donaghy affecting (laughs) tim tim donaghy uh lebron james hybrid um But, like, my, my point in illustrating that is like, you can't always draw a straight line from, you know, a presidential election one year, a gubernatorial race two years later, and then a presidential election two years later. Like, different races are different. But Brian Kemp is as Donald Trumpy as a person can be pro gun, anti everything that the Democrats stand for, you know, pro voter suppression, whatever. And Stacey Abrams, you know, is a very inspirational candidate that brought out the the vote in Georgia and actually is hugely involved in the efforts right now to push that even further. And she only lost by like 50 to 60,000 votes. And the problem that um, Trump is going to have in Georgia is similar to what he's going to have in Michigan, which is that he, look, people love him, okay? People do love him, but he's maxed out on that support. Um there, there aren't very many more votes for him to get in a place like Georgia, whereas that's not true of, um, of Biden and the, the two Democratic senatorial candidates there too. So I'm actually, I like Georgia for us too, which means we don't even need Arizona, we don't need Pennsylvania, we don't, we don't need anything um, if you know, Michigan and Wisconsin go the way that we know that they will. Buying
2: now, now Georgia is especially interesting as well because of the uh two senate races. One being, um, can you you can probably talk about talk on this? Um, one is a runoff, and um, can you can you go into a little detail on yeah, yeah, so these are.
0: All eyes are not only on Georgia now, but they're going to be on Georgia January 3rd, too, because it's very likely that the two races now are going to go to a further runoff. Um, one of them is a special election because Johnny Isaacson, who was the longtime senator there, retired. Brian Kemp appointed Kelly Loeffler, who is now famous for being just so incredibly pro-Trump. She's the 100 percent Trump senator who is the racist WNBA part owner. Um, who said Black Lives Matter is terrorism, and just, she's great. She's perfect for Trump. Um, now, so, now,
2: Kelly Loeffler is also the um, open supporter of QAnon. Yes. I- uh,
0: so she she is cozied up to Marjorie Green Taylor, who is going to be the QAnon congresswoman. She's no bones about it, not a halfway QAnon congresswoman. No, she is going to be the QAnon congresswoman, and they have um, endorsed each other. So that race is, is a special election, even though it's on election day. Um, and that means it's, it's what they call a jungle primary where you have to get 50% plus one of the vote if you want to be the outright winner. Otherwise, the top two vote getting candidates will move on to a runoff, which in George's case will be on January 3rd. So for that race, um, it's Kelly Lo- on the Republican side, it's Kelly Loeffler. And Doug Collins, not the former Chicago Bulls coach and NBA commentator, (laughs) um, but the Trumpy congressman who um, very much cozied up to Trump during the whole impeachment thing. And you'd recognize his his face as one that you would want to punch for. uh,
2: He's kind of like
0: Jim Jordan Jr. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, is that um, Loeffler with, you know, she's going to actually beat him um, in that particular race, and the first place finisher is going to be Raphael Warnock, um, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is uh, involved with President Obama. So what's going to happen there is that race is undoubtedly going to go to a runoff because um, Joe Lieberman's son, Matt Lieberman, is going to squeak away enough votes from the Democrat to prevent Warnock from even having a shot at getting the 50%. So that race, um, all eyes are going to be on it January 3rd. Now, the other race is a normal Senate race, which is for you know just a six-year term, and that's with incumbent David Perdue and John Ozoff, who um, lost a congressional race a couple years ago. Very young, energetic guy. I think he's 33. Um, and this week he was there actually in the news because Ozoff completely owned David Perdue in a debate by calling out the fact that he was a crook and that he he said. Um, you know, there's no, obviously, you don't care about COVID. You haven't done anything about COVID because you've been too busy lining your pockets, um, you know, being a crook. So, and then David Perdue backed all out of the final debate, which was supposed to be today. So that lets you know what's going on there. But um, Georgia's rules for that election are the same. And there's actually a third party libertarian candidate, who I think his name is Shane Barker, who's going to screw it up for either one of them to be able to win outright, I think. I think he's probably gonna get three or 4%, which means, you know, Ozoff gets 48, Purdue gets 47. Um, Well, that math doesn't work out. That's like 5%. But anyway, if either one of those guys don't get 50%, it will go to another special election on January, another uh, runoff on January third. Now, with what's going on in Georgia, what we just mentioned, and the fact that the Libertarian is more likely to siphon off Republican votes than Democrat. Hopefully, knock on wood. There's a shot that Ozoff could win that race outright, um, which would be a reflection of a Biden win in that state as well. So, um, two very interesting races in Georgia that may be things we continue to look at come January.
1: Yes, and and you know I think the thing about uh, those runoff elections, it's always a it's always a crapshoot because your voter total is going to go way down. uh, You know and I know it is Georgia, but there is, you know, you never know what could happen in a January. They do get ice and snow occasionally in Georgia. You know, you could have something like that hit in January and greatly affect uh, the voter turnouts. Um, for, for- yeah, I,
2: I agree. Usually uh, an, a January election would have a pretty low turnout, but if you get to vote on two Senate seats, in one election, I mean, who gets to do that?
1: Yeah, I'm just saying there there is that that propensity, here. there could be, you know, you have a lot of extra factors that will.
2: Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, weather is always um, something that people it's it's not usually thought of as a major um, election swayer, but I mean, if weather is bad, it does drive down yeah. voting. Traditionally, I mean, being that 90 plus million have already voted, it's going to have less of an effect.
1: So but I hope let's hope on Tuesday there is a hurricane that hits Pennsylvania uh, <laughs> and we can just count bail in ballots and call it good.
0: Let's not hope. Let's count. I want to count every. I want to say this. Let's count, count every vote. A count every vote means count every vote. I know you're kidding. You're obviously kidding. He's obviously kidding. Um, you know, election poll watchers
1: that are listening. I mean, to I mean Philadelphia people yeah. are garbage people. So you know, like. whoa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Philadelphia is the only reason that we're going to win Pennsylvania.
1: So.
0: <laughs> I am the product of a Philadelphia human, Devo. That's oh, okay. uh, shots fired.
1: But yet you're a Temple. you're a, but yet Go you're adults. a Washington football team fan.
0: It's not well, a my fan. mother, my mother is from Washington D.C. If you'd like, if you'd like to know, but but, but uh, you're, not, you're not. But look at fan. these early votes in Georgia. We're now looking at. The early votes in Georgia, which somehow they know the the racial breakdown of it, which is interesting, but they do not know the party breakdown. But it's interesting you can see much more female than male, and if that goes along the lines of what other polling indicates, that Biden is way up with females and males. You know that that's favorable for um, for him too in Georgia. But uh, yeah, that could that could screw things up. And, and what happens in the other Senate seats, Senate races? you know, is going to vary on how much money, how much attention is brought on to the other races. Cause say it's 49 to 49. um, And there are two Georgia Senate seats that are up for, you know, election, regardless of what happens in the presidential election, there's gonna be a lot of money and, and attention on that. So I was a little bit worried about that, but I mean, this electorate is so, is so motivated and engaged and they're gonna, because of Trump's, being so non-traditional, and who knows what he's going to do the next couple of months? Um, you know, our eyes are going to be on these things continuously in ways that they haven't been in the past. Just how Trump sucks the air out of every political moment, every hour, every day, in ways that no one ever has. Like he wins the attention-getting like contest. Like no matter what we try to do, he does. But the fact is that we're going to stay engaged. Folks in Georgia are going to stay engaged. All these efforts are going to keep going even if it is just one Senate race, even if it is the Democrats getting a 53 majority instead of 52 knock on wood, that's where we're at. Um, you know, we well, I think um, we're still going to be engaged.
2: Imagine if there are two runoffs and they are to decide the Senate in Georgia in January. Right. Imagine Tom Styers writing the amount of checks he's going to write to those races. I mean, he's going to, he's going to buy those races if they're viable. Yeah. And I know, you know, Adelson's going to do the same thing on the other side, but the money that will it go into those is absurd. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy.
0: Um, but yeah, what, anyway, you, what like is your, your guys view of what's going to happen in the Senate? I know Abby Broyles is a great candidate. Um, she got an endorsement from like Elizabeth Warren, like you guys were saying. And, um, I saw Deborah Messing tweeted something with Abby Burrell's name on it, too. There's that. but uh,
2: the That's not going to be a close race. It's going to be probably 60-40 best um, for Inhofe. Inhofe still is popular among Oklahoma voters. Somehow he is. And even though, you know, they are all about draining the swamp and getting career politicians out of office, he's been there since – I think he was in the legislature since the 80s. Um, looking at his Wikipedia page right now, that should be easy information to find real quick. Um,
0: he's been a senator. 87, since yeah, 87, he became a, a House representative. So. A representative. So, I mean, I became a human being in the eighties. So
2: that's really saying something. Um, Yeah. So he is Mr. Career Politician, Mr. Swamp Thing. Um, He refused to debate Abby Broyles um, all down the stretch and would not even speak in his commercials. He would, um, he finally did say a sentence or two in his most recent commercials and then has a bunch of typical Okies typical looking and sounding Oklahomans. I'm sure they're paid actors from California, um, but they come on and they say, well, if she's endorsed by um, Elizabeth Warren, she's too socialist for Oklahoma. And that means, and they have a guy on the commercial say, a vote for Abby Broyles, that's putting another liberal on the Supreme Court. Like what? <laughs> How? I don't know <laughs> the logic behind that. Um,
0: and it by the way,
2: By the way, in the um, Inhofe commercial, it will be four more um, justices on the Supreme Court after we pack that, pack that bitch up. So
0: get ready. We got to, you know, we got to watch the terminology, like, you know, defund the police is, is a loser as far as terminology goes, like, like Dustin, like said on a previous podcast about his branding. Pack the courts is an incorrect term. It's adding, it's adding justices. No, we're not packing anything. That's what Re- man has been Re- doing.
1: Rebalancing and reconfiguring. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, you, you were talking about senatorial ra- uh, Senate races. I mean, yeah, Oklahoma is a lost cause. You know, my, my dream scenario in, in a perfect world, even in a perfect world, the electoral map would be 531 to seven and Oklahoma would be the last like just red thing on it. Like it's not going to change. Like like we are literally in an era where we have, you know, uh, you know, talked uh, uh, potentially about Texas flipping blue. No one is even going to remotely think that Oklahoma has a snowball chance uh, in hell of doing that. Like it's, it's just not going to to go that way. Um, I, I clearly, I think there are districts, uh, you know, if the state was somehow divided for senatorial races, maybe there's a chance, but I, I certainly don't, uh, I don't see that happening here. Uh, but I, from what I've seen, most projections do show a flip Senate uh, after this electri- electoral cycle. Uh, we have, the Democrats have to win like four of their races, I think.
0: Yep, that's right. So we have to, we're looking at the master spreadsheet, by the way, another plug for it. And you can go bit.ly slash elections with a zero instead of a bit.ly slash elections, all lowercase, O is a zero. So right now the composition of the Senate It's 53 to 47 Republicans to Democrats. If you count Bernie Sanders and Angus King, the independents as Democrats, which everyone does. Um, We are going to lose Doug Jones' Alabama Senate seat. We're going to lose it, period. It's not really in play. It's likely Republican. Um, You know, he won it under miracle circumstances, the fact that they decided to put Roy Moore out there. It was a special election in 2017. Alabama, you know, they're going to come out and vote for Trump. And Tommy Tuberville, the Auburn head coach, um, who is going to be the senator. He's a loser, but he's going to be a winner come election night. Um, I
2: I find, you know, with that being probably the biggest interstate football rivalry in America, um, I don't see how so (laughs) many roll titers are going to go vote for him.
1: Oh, it's because they don't. I know they will. But because they don't they have to. Motivated. They just gotta they just gotta hit the all Republican button and they're good. So do they have straight party voting in Alabama? Probably. Uh, I would guarantee that they do. Like
0: Yeah. Um, but he's he's gonna lose, and it's interesting. Um he has a very solid shot of being Joe Biden's attorney general, so it could end up working out pretty well for him. Doug and what Jones, could go wrong?
2: If... What could go wrong for a president picking their attorney general? As a senator, sitting senator or former senator from Alabama, (laughs) what could possibly go wrong, Beauregard?
0: Enter Jeff Sessions. Yes. Um, Yes, Alabama is one of the six states that still allows straight ticket voting, so that tells you right there. I think that's part of the reason why folks are saying Tuberville will win because when Doug Jones originally won, again, it was a special election. He was the only thing on the ballot, if I'm not mistaken. So, so with that in mind. The Democrats are then four net seats down to tie. We so that means they need five seats to guarantee a majority. Four seats, um, assuming Biden wins, which makes you know Kamala Harris the the president of the Senate and the tiebreaker. So here's where that's going to come from. The top two are going to be Colorado, no doubt about it. Colorado yep. is a blue state.
2: And Cory Gardner could have helped himself a lot in, over the last couple of years but he cozied up to Trump in a non-Trump state. And so, I mean, see you later, Corey Gardner. Yeah. Uh, what an He's idiot. He's
0: out of there. He is easily out of there. He's going to lose by maybe eight to 10 points. He, and that's to
2: former Governor uh, Heckenlooper, correct?
0: Yep, to John, to John Hickenlooper. So that's one, all right? The next one that's near guaranteed is Arizona and Mark Kelly. Um, Martha McSally, by the way, when... Marco Rubio, after they very depressingly passed uh, Amy Coney Barrett through the uh, as the, the Supreme Court person, uh, lady, uh, I'm thinking of other words. Um, when they did that, he said that there were 52 legitimately elected senators that did that. Well, like we just said with Cully Locklear, there is at least one that was not. They were appointed, never elected to their position as Senate. The other one is Martha McSally, who was appointed um, to uh, Jeff Flake's seat, I believe, and then lost the election to Kirsten Cinema. She then was appointed by um, the Republican governor of Arizona after John McCain died um, and now is poised to lose a second senatorial election in the last uh, two years. So she's going to lose to Mark Kelly, Gabby Gifford's husband, um, form- former astronaut, who is really just a great candidate and, and Martha McSally is has cozied up to Trump in what is now a purple state just like we were saying about Gardner um in a very unintelligent way so that's that's two um Daniel what do you what do you think is next as far as most likely to flip
2: um well either one of those Georgia seats
0: yeah I like go. I like those um I was talking about Iowa a little bit earlier, which there was like a not so great poll that came out the, um, the other day, which had some weird stuff in it. But Jody Ernst, I don't know if you guys saw this last week, but in a debate, Jody Ernst, the current Republican Senator of Iowa, was against uh, Teresa Greenfield, the Democratic challenger. And she could not quote the price of soybeans when Teresa Greenfield was able to verbatim from memory, quote, the price of corn. So I mean, if that ain't a freaking way to win an election in Iowa, you know, <laughs> being able to properly quote, farm prices, I don't know what is so. Um, but I was a very, very, you know, white state. And we know that, um, you know, with the white identity politics that Trump brings into play. Um, you never you never know. But um, one of the, the best rating place that, in my opinion, crystal ball from the University of Virginia, they have that as a lean to, uh, Greenfield. So I think Apparently, that's, that's um, when you,
2: when you are running for office and about to be in front of a camera in any way, shape or form in Iowa, you have to know the price of soybeans. <laughs> so that's like a thing. That's a, to be expected question.
0: I uh, mean, way to be unprepared, Jody Ernst, you know, I yeah. uh, so that I think that one is, is maybe next, although I think maybe slightly more likely is is the main seat and Susan Collins? Collins. Yeah. And um, she
2: tried to play it both ways. She's tried to be a um, independent from Trump, but then she usually ends up you know going back and yeah, she she's she's ridiculous, she needs to go.
0: Yeah, and Maine is a very just like we were talking about, um, you know, with some other states like Maine's a very independent minded state. And the fact that, you know, she has just cozied up to Trump, you know, the impeachment trial, not doing anything with COVID. Um, You know, Trump very narrowly lost Maine, if I'm not mistaken, in 2016.
2: And now Maine is a divided. um, Is it a winner take all state or do they
0: No, Maine splits up their electoral votes as well? And actually the Maine second district, um, is going to be, yeah, pretty significant. Right, so Hillary only won Maine by 3%. Polling averages have Trump down between 13 and 14% right now, which again, polls can be wrong, but I don't think they're a good 10% wrong. So that trickles down to Susan Collins, who is going to lose her race. Um, one great thing about what the Democrats are doing this cycle, in my opinion, is they're putting really good candidates out there. Like I just mentioned about Mark Kelly, freaking astronaut. His, his wife is a former uh, Congresswoman who uh, under unfortunate circumstances is a hero. Um, and also um, Greenfield who is obviously game for the, the race in, in Iowa. And another example of that is uh, Sarah Gideon in Maine. She is the Speaker of the House um, in Maine and is just a perfectly local candidate who has run an an excellent campaign there and has really targeted the fact that Gideon has tried to total that um, Collins has tried to code the line as an independent while functionally being, you know, very, very pro-Trump. So that's one that we're going to get to.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. I agree. The Democrats are, um, they see this, the math is in their favor because there are so many seats, more seats in the Republican side at play than um, on the Democrat side of the Senate, you know, just from, the math. So it, you know, it's smart of them to put people like Hickenlooper who he was a popular governor, you know, in Colorado, people like that. And the aforementioned people that um, that are running for Senate in other States. Um, yeah. They, they put their best foot forward to take the Senate. And I, I yeah. think that's going to prove um, fruitful yeah. over the next days.
1: If you were going to give us a uh, sort of maybe like a, you know uh you're throwing you're throwing this seat in with your exotics you know you're giving us a long shot here you've got you've got your trifecta give me that fourth to make it a super but what's a long shot you would throw in there that maybe would be a surprise flip uh that no one's really seeing on the board right now or just you know maybe. so
0: if if we want to go super weird long shot it would be it would be kansas okay. um We've we've talked about Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. We've talked about Alaska and how that's an independent-minded state. And those would be huge flips, but they would you know they would be slightly less expected. Now Kansas with Barbara Bollier, who I just figured out how to pronounce her name. Um, she is someone who was a Republican as recently as 2018, and the you know the the strength of incumbency. Um, Kansas actually doesn't have in this case because Pat Roberts, the senator there is retiring, and the candidate versus a bullier is, is Roger Marshall, a longtime congressman there. So the polls have them within single digits, which when you think about, you know, Kansas, which we think of as a pretty deep red state, even though um, they have now a, a Democratic governor, um, the fact that she is polling within single digits there is pretty incredible. And she could maybe pull in those, you know, independent voters that maybe won't vote for Biden, that, but you know, Biden is too liberal for them, but she being an actual former Republican, maybe they could go there. And again, Roger Marshall, um, you know, being a, a current member of Congress doesn't have a great track record, um, you know, with stuff with the economy and COVID and, and stuff like that. So um, if Kansas were to go red for the Senate, boy, howdy, we're talking, maybe we are up big time. Another one is Mississippi. Um, So this was another one where the senator was elected by a special election previously because I think uh, Thad Cochran, who was the senator there, resigned. But she, Cindy Hyde-Smith, only won by single digits by 7%. And the candidate that she's against is Mike Espy, who was uh, in Clinton's cabinet. He was a congressman out of the Jackson, Mississippi area um, that, you know, is very, very well known. And he has run as perfect of a campaign as someone can there. So his campaign would be both, you know, flipping unexpected, you know, rural voters that are just sick of Trump and lying to them and thinking they're stupid and the economic damage and the, you know, COVID and stuff like that. People actually do believe in that. Um, And also, you know, very strongly bringing out the black voters in Mississippi, similar to what Biden was able to do in the South Carolina primary, which they are in in droves. Um, huge percentage of the the voters, uh, the Democratic voters in Mississippi are are black. So, um, and Mississippi actually was a much closer margin in the presidential race than you would think, kind of seventeen <laughs> percent. Um, but you know, I mean, weird things could happen. So that that one being on the board. Um, would be reflective of Democrats maybe having 55, 56, 57 seats in in the Senate. Um, so yeah, right. When you look at actually available odds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm doing it.
1: Let's if we're going to make some money now for people out there listening.
0: Yeah. Uh, the biggest <laughs> underdog is Barbara Bollier of the ones that we've been talking about. Um, so I think that's a pretty, pretty safe bet. Although Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, who's run that perfect, campaign against lindsey graham um i think still think he's going to lose unfortunately because that's not a very what they call elastic state you know there aren't people that vote that flip flop and change their votes um for party there and trump's gonna win big but now now that is a not a head heads up race correct no that's not a heads up race and did you see what jamie harrison with his big amounts of money did in that race what's there is there's a third party constitutional party candidate who has endorsed Lindsey Graham, but is still on the ballot. And
2: they they are just going to take away from Lindsey.
0: I mean, that's what they're trying to do. So like Jamie Harrison got so much money, I think 60 plus million dollars last quarter. That could be off a little bit, but huge amounts of money that he has no one to do with. And he's putting ads out saying, you know, This constitutional party candidate too conservative for South Carolina, whereas he's listing off his conservative bona fides compared to Lindsey Graham. So you know, someone could possibly vote for this guy thinking he was more conservative than Lindsey Graham. Um, You know, it's brilliant. Why not? You have money. It's not going to hurt anything. You might as well.
1: Well, I guess that's why I've been getting that at least twelve emails a day from uh, Mr. Harrison uh, for (laughs) some reason. I'm like, okay, I. I get it. But, you know, hey, at some point, a bit over. Not only not only that, but people
2: hate the hypocrisy that is Lindsey Graham. They just hate it. It makes them sick. And it makes me sick as well, Um, because, you know, he he's the first one to go find uh, a microphone and a camera in especially in um, early 2016 and talk about how if Donald Trump was on fire, Lindsey Graham wouldn't, you know, pee on him to put him out.
0: And what's ironic about if Jamie Harrison somehow is able to win as a two to one underdog still, it's going to be because not only of his efforts that we just talked about, but it's going to be because of Trump undermining Graham and people voting for Trump, but not voting for anyone in that senatorial race. So I would love to see that irony just slap Lindsay straight in the face. And you know, it's just it's it's great. I mean, and if and if those three races that we talked about, South Carolina. Mississippi and Kansas somehow go Democratic it's reflective of a ginormous blue wave that's that's just in the vein of some of those states in the electoral college we talked about where you know Mitch Mitch needs them and Chuck Schumer does not so um, so that could be really really cool if we talk about any of those three flipping to to the Democrats but one race we didn't talk about um, is North Carolina, which you can see, Cal Cunningham is now uh, a, a two-to-three favorite, um, and that's another race that is in one of those swing state districts. Very unpopular incumbent in Tom Tillis, and that's that's ours.
1: Uh, I I, I never trust a Tom that spells his name with an H. A <laughs> uh, Thom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it'd be funny
0: if his real name is is just Thomas, just like just like everyone else, but he just decided to be a jerk and just I'm gonna spell it Thom. Yes, that's exactly true.
1: I do enjoy, yeah, I do enjoy uh, that it's uh, TT versus CC in that race. So you know, apparently they need some uh, some alliteration in uh, North Carolina (laughs) to get behind.
0: Well, who's gonna win the, the alliterative battle? You know, Tom Tillis or Cal Cunningham from Carolina. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, Well, you know, and it is, boy, I I was just thinking what it would be like if I had email addresses that didn't get political uh, emails and how uh, my email inbox would just be kind of barren probably um, out there. Now we do uh, here as we're pushing on, uh, I think we're getting close to an hour, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously we can save any blue wave talk to see what the actual results are to see if there's actual blue wave. And uh, we can then start debating on whether or not it's an actual blue wave or it's just an anti-Trump wave, which is, uh, you know, is, is Democratic success in this election indicative of long-term Democratic success, or is this just a response to, to Donald Trump? And Well, I, Republican. I don't
2: know. I feel like, um, I, I see where you're going with this, but I think it's really impossible to say because the the pushback is against donald trump but donald trump has become the republican party so like we're all of these senators that are vulnerable now because they hitched their wagon to donald trump that's because that's the party now currently i mean who knows what it'll be in a year if everybody will be like you know well that was stupid i can't believe you know we were put in that position that we had to do that um because all of the republican party is not for trump but Trump is the Republican Party. You know, if he were to come out and say that wearing green shirts is on Fridays is the Republican thing. Yeah, there would be a lot of green shirt wearing people. So. Which you was know, a stupid I, I, analogy, and it doesn't even make sense in my head, but
0: it is, it is um, the biggest. you know, we it's tribal. I know you're I see what you're saying, though. It's tribal.
1: He is the biggest shift to the party that we have seen in our lifetime. Certainly not the biggest shift in a party ever, uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I think everybody likes to think of these, the political parties are these two big, you know, monolithic, you know, sort of entities that are immutable, but they're, they're not, right? They can change over time, um, and they certainly have, you know, that's why, you know, whenever someone says the Democrats are the party of Jefferson, n- no, they're not, Uh, They're also not the party of Jackson or, or, you know, it's, it's completely different, but uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I, it'll be interesting to see. uh, Is there value in like maintaining Trump style policies? If you guys, if they get a big L in this election, or do you see a swing back to a more traditional conservative platform um, of just sort of, essentially letting the Democrats screw up and then coming in to say that they're going to save the day or whatever.
2: Well, I mean, being that Trump is more of a a cult of personality, it's not an ideological thing necessarily aside from the Supreme court, which is a lot of the reason why a lot of Republicans support him is because they thought we'll hold our nose and we'll get the Supreme court, which, you know, did come to fruition, but they did take big L's in 18 and everybody stuck with him. There was no peeling off and saying, well, I've got to worry about my own personal political future. I can't, you know, go, I can't stick with Trump. The problem with that is a lot of, uh, you know, prominent Republicans retired because they knew they'd get primaried if they went against Trump and then their political career would be over anyway. So, you know, they it, it's a, a tough world out there for Republicans, even now, even before this election, because, they have to stick with him to avoid getting primaried but then when the general rolls around they have to not seem like the biggest trumpers in the world so there's a lot it's a, a tough world to you know navigate for the um, republican congressman
1: well congressmen. i don't feel sorry for them so oh, no no, yeah. no, no.
0: And I'll, i mean and just to get back to daniel's point like you can't disconnect changes and waves with whoever the incumbent is, ever. Like, you know, the last time that um, the Senate flipped was in 2010, and that was an Obama midterm. Last time, or 2014, sorry. Last time the House flipped was 2010, and that was an Obama midterm too. So like, we, we can't uncouple those things. And, and <laughs> the fact that the Republicans have cozied up so much to Trump, like the Republican Party and the Trump brand are synonymous at this point. Like, the fact that that's what they decided to do, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit worried if everything we want to have happen happens, move past the violence and unrest, you know, we're at January 20th, Biden is in there, who cares what Trump is doing, there's still going to be a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party and the, you know, and and the Biden administration, because his coalition extends from Lincoln Project, Republicans like Rick Wilson, to AOC, who's going on Twitch, trying to get people to vote. So that creates a natural conflict within the party that's good because it's a big coalition. I mean, that's- So
1: you mean the Democratic Party? Yeah. That's that's just the Democratic Party. It's always- We've always been the big tent party.
0: But my my point is that the Republican, you know, those Rick Wilson Republicans aren't going, aren't going back, I don't think. Um, And if they are, it's going to be because of a big ideological shift and they're not going to go do that big ideological shift because just like just like Daniel just said, the current Republicans are so scared of their supporters, the misinformation, everything that's propelling, you know, Trumpism, all that is going to continue. I feel like even after Trump is is out of office um, because he just sucks the air out of everything and, you know, maybe his son's going to be there. Tom Cotton is going to be there to try to continue to hold the mantle. So I don't see any ideological shifts in the Republican Party, um, even though, they're going to lose. Yeah. And I,
2: I've also wondered, I thought this in 16, so, you know, maybe shame on me for thinking it again, but I thought in 16, and maybe it's still true, even though it didn't work out this way, that Trump's end goal was not to become president. And there have been leakings from, um, election night in 16, where there's, It was alleged that, you know, there's just this big look of fear and panic on his face because he never thought he would win and that he was doing this to build a brand and um, uh, a media conglomerate, which I could see him going and maybe becoming the face of OAN or something like that, or maybe buying OAN um, and making, you know, the new conservative party being the, um, having the media backing of Donald Trump and him being on TV, you know, five nights a week, talking about how horrible the radical left is, and then you know that being a platform for, like you said, like Don Jr. or Ivanka um, to launch a political um, run in '24, and because yes, there will be seats lost in assuming everything goes, you know, perfect in this election on Tuesday. Long game. People like voting out um, super majorities, and so if we're if we're controlling the House, the Senate, and the presidency, we're going to lose seats in 2022. Uh, it's inevitable; it always happens. That's how it goes. And so, if he can position through a media empire his family to maintain power, I could see that being his next step. In Justin, because what do
0: you, what do be- you, Justin, think about? I'm sorry, Daniel. Go ahead.
2: Um, real quick, just to to put a bow on this, um, there will be 40 percent, 38 to 40 percent of America who feels completely cheated by the system after this election. Um, the, the always Trumpers who are Trump before party, they will be just devastated. They will feel screwed. They will feel like they've lost their identity in America and they're going to want Some sort of media that they can watch that is not Fox News is not something that says, well, we did this Trump experiment for a little bit. Now we need to move forward. They're going to want a Trump centric media presence. And I think that's kind of what Trump's plans are beyond the election.
0: He needs he needs the attention and he's going to he's going to find a way to get it. Um, Dustin, what I was going to ask you was. So say everything we want to have happen happens. What do you view the shifts in the Republican Party as? Because I remember on a previous podcast, you said, you know, America is so big that when parties lose big, they basically shift by necessity. And what I just said is is contrary to that. So, you know, where what do you think would happen
1: in that scenario? Well, I, I mean, if we look at like monumental losses, you know, the only... And, and You know, I think it's somewhat analogous to it, uh, but I mean, obviously the biggest shift, party shift, would have been the uh, 1932 election um, with the Great Depression going on. We're certainly not, you know, fortunately we're not at the point where 25% of the nation is in bread lines right now, um, but we are dealing with a pandemic, there is high unemployment, there is economic collapse I mean, effectively what happens, though, is it, it tends to be the parties capitalize on those people who left their party to go, you know, find hope in this other political party. Uh, and then once that other political party does actually do something, the, and it's usually the conservative side, they will kick in and go, all right, now let's keep the advances we've made. We can't keep these liberal policies going. And so you see their party, you know, the Republican party, even though right now does not seem like it, the Republican party has liberalized over its existence. And I think that's what you're going to have happen. Like, it's inevitable that the Republican party is going to have to adopt, like, you know, they can't ride the coattails of oil and gas forever. They will eventually have to adopt something to do with renewable energy, but it's just going to look different. Um. Those extremists will always be there, but I mean, extremists have always been there in, in both parties. If you look at the 1936 presidential election, um, which it didn't end up happening because he got assassinated, but you know, Huey Long was challenging FDR for not being liberal enough. So there, there was actually one of the reasons why uh, the Democrats lost seats in that election was because there were those that thought FDR hadn't done enough. And so the Democratic party has always been its worst enemy. Um, especially once it gets power. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, Huey Long was challenging pretty hardcore, but then he, uh, one of those most hilarious assassinations in uh, in history where the bullet, <laughs> his, his own bodyguard's bullet ricocheted off something and hit him in the spine. So, um, but.
0: Hilarious doubt, assassination and <laughs> oxymoron of the day.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I doubt Howie Long thought it was so funny.
1: I don't think Howie, well, Howie, Howie Long, Unless it's a joke coming from uh, Terry Bradshaw. that He doesn't find it funny, right? Um, so there you go. Um, you yeah. weren't lying,
0: though, about that. I was looking it up as you were talking. You were not lying about that 1932 congressional election. The Republicans lost over 100 seats yeah, in that yeah. election alone. Like, that was the biggest flip, I think, since until 2010, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Obama midterm. So, like...
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's a di- a, certainly a different world, but the, the problems were, you know somewhat uh similar uh to them but i i do know that as his presidencies kept going obviously by the time we get to the 40 election we are in world war ii and it's you know not we're not officially in world war ii but world war ii has started in europe and it's kind of but even then you well, know man. you know by 30 i think so fdr is elected 32 I believe it's 35 is where you have Schechter versus the United States and the, you know, that's when the Supreme court packing comes in
0: 37, I think
1: Thirty, Yeah. Uh, and then that sort of like ruins his clout and kind of kills the new deal. Uh, once, once that occurs. So I don't know, I, I, I can see what you guys are saying, but I think there's going to be a lot of Republicans that are sort of like, all right, we're old guard Republicans. This is clearly a PR nightmare for us we don't agree with the proud boys we don't agree with arming americans to go out to the streets this is losing us votes from calm people so we're done with it we don't need those people the future is with i mean trends are trends like as people age they tend to become more conservative and the huge upswell it's sort of millennials millennials or whatever you want to and even people my age whatever. The hell generation i'm in like many of us are people that are like in that millennial category now are going to become more conservative and while they're all gung-ho about like aoc and stuff like that now they will temper their beliefs as time goes on there will always be someone that's further out left right to lead the way and, and just like
0: you said the definition of conservative and, and liberal will morph too, meaning they can stay in the same place but then in that future time be less liberal
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, conservative by its nature is conserving what you have and protecting what you've gained. So I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's the, uh, but we do need to get to this uh, real to, to wrap and get close to the end. I do want to say something. Uh, I found out about this site. I don't know that this other States have this. I, from what I was told, this is pretty unique to the state of Oklahoma, but if you go to oklahomadata.com uh, and you type in a last name and first name, you can pretty much get any information you want about anyone who's registered to vote at Oklahoma, including home address, phone number. This is how you get those text messages that you've never signed up for.
0: Badvoter.org that- also.
1: Well, that's yeah. Badvoter.org will show you the last time they vote. It's not super accurate. Um, and this one's not accurate on the things, but like literally I can look up your name, Belsky, and it will show me your last address here and phone number in Oklahoma and it's a lot of personal information at the fingertips of anybody that wants to look it up. If you've registered to vote in Oklahoma, it's kind of scary, honestly, um, pretty much means that anybody can get your home address if they really want to. So, um, but we do have some state races. So let's talk about them quickly. We've talked about Senate district 35, uh, a lot, obviously it's hard. We don't have like polling data as well or anything like that in the state, you know, for a lot of these state races. Um, We've talked about Oklahoma five before uh, Belsky, any hint of where that's leaning? What What do you think is going to go on there?
0: You know, I've, I've gone back and forth and listening to, to Daniel too, about, you know, Bice's impact on Oklahoma and her um, ability to get the liquor laws reform. But I think Oklahoma city in that district, when you look at it, you know, there's some of Norman and some of Edmond and stuff on the other side too. Like it's, it's an American city and we're seeing with, Polling in places like Omaha, Phoenix, all kinds of medium-ish American cities, um, although Phoenix is huge, that they're rejecting Trumpism. That's not only in the cities, but that's in the suburbs as well. That's what won it for Kendra Horn in in 2018. Now, it's a little different this time around because Oklahoma has straight party voting. Trump is going to win. He's going to win big. He's popular. Also, Steve Russell ran no campaign in 2018, and that's what enabled Kendra to win by a razor thin margin and Stephanie Bice, you know, there are millions of dollars coming in on that race on both sides because of how crucial it is. But, um, I've gone back and forth right now. I would lean towards Kendra. I don't know, Daniel, what do you think?
2: Um, I think it will be close for all the reasons you said. Um, I feel like, you know, Kendra Horn is not some, you know, far left. I haven't seen the commercials cause I don't live in CD five, but I would imagine they painted her as a socialist just because she's a Democrat. Um, But I would imagine, I I don't know. She's not a liberal Democrat. Um, Norman is getting further and further left by, by the day. It's, it's a very left-leaning town and that makes up a large amount of the voter block for CD five, as well as, like you said, Oklahoma city is a real city. And so the part of Oklahoma city, you know, that's going to, she'll run it up there as well. Um, Stephanie Bice is seen as by Oklahoma standards, a pretty moderate Republican. She's not like an old, you know, racist um, right-wing nut uh, by comparison,
1: loud. <laughs> she, well, I, I no, I mean, I, I think legitimately from people that I've talked to that interact with her, she is the definition of a moderate Republican. Like, right? She, like, I mean, just from you know the way she handles herself, I don't think she's out flying the MAGA flag or anything like that. You know, um, which is what helped out Kendra Horn last time is that she was going against a, which I was kind of hoping that Vice was going to lose her primary. It was very close in their primary. Because Kendra Horn would have been up against another one of those sort of hard right uh, candidates again. Mm-hmm. But now I she's
0: think they're uh, they're mostly attacking her for being anti oil, quote unquote, which obviously is a hyper local issue.
1: Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on that one. It's not the end of the world. If uh, Oklahoma loses their Democratic uh, representative, um, it would just kind of be par for the course, I suppose. Uh, Speaking on uh, Senate District 35, State Senate District 35, uh, I was talking to some people recently, and they are, they live in South Tulsa. They are in um, Joanna Dossett's, you know, district, because it goes out to wherever, um, the gerrymandering uh, district that it is, and uh, it, you know, this person told me that their, their neighbor's, we're talking about the election and she said, Oh, I noticed you had a Joanna Dossett sign in your yard. And the neighbor was like, yeah, uh, I actually know Baber and I like her, but all these campaign materials I've been getting against Dossett has really turned me off of Baber. And so I, I think this negative campaigning from the MAGA group uh, that's been supporting Cheryl Baber may blow up in her face um, because Dossett has ran a very proactive and positive campaign. And Baber, while she hasn't officially put sent out things like this, it's certainly come out to attack Dossett on that. I think it's turning people off. From I think
2: that's a definite possibility because um, they're attacking do-
1: a school teacher. They're attacking a mother and a school teacher as being some sort of horrible Antifa murderer or something. So
2: right, and I, you know, there are you know different parts of. SD 35 that are very different. You know, the Stanislavski side, he was the, um, he is term limited out now. He was a 12 year Senator. Um, He was very, he was what I would call like an, an ORU style um, state Senate candidate. And he, he was an ORU, he is an ORU grad and um, not exactly a, adapt with the times and, um, forward thinking kind of person, I guess I would say, um, he, um, did win, you know, three elections in SD 35. Um, but the closer you get to the Northern end of SD 35, the harder it's going, um, left. And the more it's going towards, um, Joanna Dossett. It's, it's really interesting to drive around um, SD35 because you get all the way, you know, to, you know, the TU area of Tulsa, which mm-hmm. is very moderate to left. And then the further you go south, it becomes harder and harder right.
1: Um, it does. There, there have been some demographic changes out in the south, south, south part of that, uh, mostly uh, an increased Latino population. Uh, In the south side in the Jinx area.
0: And there are different apartment complexes that just randomly have, you know, diversity because of them just being there. But
1: But you're right. Certainly the area between like 31st Street and 81st is considerably uh, more uh, pro-Republican and Baber than, you know, anything north of uh, 31st Street Uh, and, you know, and, and beyond that. Uh, We also have a couple of state questions we need to talk about briefly. Uh, I believe, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and uh, I think that uh, Red State Blues will endorse 805 uh, outright uh, between us. Um, Just to talk about 805 real quick, kind of getting both detractors and supporters from all over the place. Um, The biggest issue with 805 is basically an issue with, the lunacy of Oklahoma, not considering sexual assault, a violent crime until this year. Um, So that's kind of the problem with eight Oh five is that there is a very, very off super rare chance that eight Oh five could be detrimental in a very specific uh, domestic assault uh, charge, but it would be a very, very rare thing to happen. Um, Yeah. A yeah. lot
2: of that is just scare tactics from the Sheriff Association um and pro, pro incarceration groups. Um hold because,
1: on. I have to stop you right there. Uh Kandelski Scroll, what is that? <laughs> stop wiping your butt. Here's why. Okay. Good job. That's just-
0: clear clear rear ads.
1: Thanks, ballotpedia.org for the stop wiping your butt ads. Uh, There you go. Sorry to interrupt you there, uh, Daniel, but that was just uh, (laughs) too much.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was derailing for sure. Um, Anyway, with 805, um, there is a strong push for no, but again, it's from the pro-incarceration lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, Domestic violence is a violent crime in, it's classified as a violent crime in Oklahoma. 805 does not keep Judges from issuing a maximum sentence for any of those crimes before what they could do is say, well, um, Sally robbed Walmart um, years ago, or by robbed, I mean shoplifted. And then she went back and shoplifted again. Um, So let's take that previous arrest to show that she is a serial shoplifter and let's throw her in jail longer than the maximum for shoplifting.
0: Yeah. So
2: I have, All I have
0: to see here and becoming very briefly educated about this is that the ACLU and Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform support it. Kevin Stitt and the other share- Republic, Oklahoma district attorneys are against it and sheriff groups as well. So yeah, easy, easy pro, easy yes.
2: Yeah, the lock them up lobby is against it because it keeps people from getting locked up for minor offenses for longer than they should and the pro-criminal justice reform lobby says this is a no-brainer you must do it so that's where
0: we're at
1: yeah i'd be interested to see who's behind the oklahoma coalition against domestic assault and violence uh
0: yeah i was looking into that to see if it was like a shell group or an actually actual good advocacy group
1: yeah um i i I know for a fact i believe uh what's (laughs) You know, Alec tried to give money to Shauna Mont Wright to try to win her over. So, you know, they're really, yep, yeah, just I guess trying to hedge their bets a little bit because you definitely right. Dave Raiders taking that money. So, um, oh, sure. Now the other the other state question that we got uh, is eight fourteen, which uh, you know I I'm going to vote yes on eight fourteen, um, if. For no other reason, I think we've discussed it briefly on here before, we have to fund the, what is it, $100 million that we owe to Medicare expansion?
2: Um, I'm not sure the exact number, but yeah, something like that yeah. uh, to get, yes. And because of the previous state question that was passed, um, that Red State Blues also supported um, to expand Medicaid in Oklahoma, um, we got nine to one matching, we will get nine to one matching funds. We put yeah. up $100 million we get a billion dollars um, total to fund healthcare for the um, least able to do that for themselves in Oklahoma. So very glad that passed. Yes, I think it does have to be funded legally. Um, we have two options um, with eight fourteen. Um, that is a as opposed to eight hundred five. Eight hundred five is a citizen-driven um, initiative, which means they, you know, circulated a petition got enough signatures and got it on the ballot um 814 is a legislative driven petition which means our state legislature said oh crap we have to come up with this money we if we do our job we can either raise taxes or cut programs they are in a big no raise taxes um kind of mindset because they're the oklahoma legislature um So they're not going to raise taxes. They've come out, um, John Eccles, which is the, um, Senate or the house majority floor leader, um, who helped set the agenda for the Oklahoma house. John Eccles came out, um, last week and said, we will not raise, there will be zero, um, revenue bills, AKA tax, um, raises coming from the legislature this session that starts in February. Um, so if, He guarantee he has the power to single handedly say no. We're not going to put any tax bills um, up on the floor. Um, In the event that he sticks to his word and does that, the only other way they can fund any bills is by cutting other programs, which they have no problem doing. Um, They like cutting core services. That's what the Oklahoma Republican Legislature does. I mean they they did that for ten years from 2008 to 2018, and you know, just gutted every core service that the state offered because they couldn't raise um, the gross production tax. But that's another story. Um, The point being, they will not raise taxes. um, And so they will cut core services. I voted yes, not because I think that it's our job to take away from TSET, which is the Tobacco Settlement Fund. Um, I don't think that's appropriate. That's where, that's what a yes vote does. But I know if there's not a yes vote, if it does not pass, the legislature has to fund the Medicaid expansion and they will only fund it by cutting core services because they are a horrible group of legislators and that's what they'll do. Yeah. And, so, and, those
1: core, and those core services are things like education. So that's yeah. money. Will, it'll be another two or five percent cut to education budget um, and then other budgets will be cut as well. So it's one of those things where it's not ideal, but you kind of got to, you know, grit your teeth and Check the yes and just know that, well, this is, look at what we're going to get out of it and it's worth the, uh, you know, the little bit of uh, sort of, I don't know, a bad aspect that you're having to deal with uh, knowing that you're going to get Medicare expanded uh, because. Right.
2: If we had a legislature that we could believe in, number one, they wouldn't have put this bill up. They wouldn't have put this on the ballot. Number two, they, I would feel comfortable in voting no for 814. Knowing that our state legislature will say, oh, well, the public said, no, we don't, we can't take the tobacco money and put it um, to fund our Medicaid expansion. Expansion. So instead, we'll raise some revenue. I know our legislature is not capable of doing that because that's tough decisions a legislature is there to make. And that's not the kind of people they are. So um, instead, we have to bail them out and have to pass 814
1: so they don't screw over the rest of the core services of Oklahoma government. And uh, I guess the last thing uh, as we wrap up here uh, and this uh, considerably longer than normal episode, um, guys, uh, we want to give a a shout out to uh, Mikey, our thrill. Uh, We hope that he is successful uh, in uh, defeating uh, Cass Cass Fowler in Tulsa city, uh, city council district five in his uh, election here. Uh, Belsky what would you like to talk about on that?
0: Well first of all folks that graduated from Booker T Washington class of 2003 are luminaries each and every one of us all so Mikey Arthroll big time absolutely and and outside of that subjective perspective you know Cass Fowler is someone who doesn't represent Tulsa well look I don't live in Oklahoma but I live in Tulsa for 25 years okay so I can speak credibly on on the topic as as these dudes can too. But like, Cass Fowler does not represent a Tulsa. He does not represent the people of his district well, um, because he has been very anti-coronavirus, or anti-coronavirus protections, does not believe in it, um, and has really attacked Mikey, who's behind the mask. You know, he's, the person behind the mask is someone who has um, worked in public service as at Youth Services of Tulsa for many years, extremely involved in the community, a loving husband and and father based on my understanding, even though, you know, we're not like buddies like that, but I just know uh, about him a little bit. So he's an excellent candidate. He only lost here. We're looking at the numbers. He only lost to Cass in 2018 by 400 votes. And if he can actually garner, you know, the four or 500 votes from the other primary candidates, um, he actually has a really good shot of, of winning this. And people are sick and tired of, you know, these kind of things that that these politicians are doing when their job is to be effective governors, people that govern rather than, you know, um, propaganda pushers. So I hope that Mikey wins and I have faith that, that he can district five turn out. So so absolutely.
2: I'm not a district five person. So um, I don't have any, any say in this election, but I did watch the city council meeting. Um, where they voted on um, whether Tulsa would adopt a mask um, requirement. And um, Cass was one of the no votes. There were two no votes. Cass was one of the two of them. It did pass because the, the rest of the city council um, showed some, some bravery and, and passed the mask mandate. And um, that is after they started the meeting, um, hearing from health experts saying, we have to have a mask mandate or we are going to have a huge spike um, in Oklahoma down the road going into the fall and to the winter. And lo and behold, um, you know, you're sharing your, your screen here.
1: Anyway, um,
2: sorry. Um, we'll take that out in post-production. Um, do we have post-production?
1: Uh, very minimal.
2: Okay, so um, you'll get to hear about that. Uh, Belski was showing us his Facebook page on his shared screen. But anyway, um, on the mask mandate, 88, oh, Twitter, Twitter, the tweeter, um, 88% of um, the spread in Oklahoma has come from areas over the last two months that does not have a mask mandate. Um, they've seen an 88, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. They've seen an 88% increase in COVID spread in the parts of Oklahoma that do not have a mask mandate currently Oklahoma City and Tulsa are the only two places that do have a mask mandate and um, in the cities of Oklahoma City and Tulsa they have only seen a 22 percent rise in infection amongst their um, residents as opposed to 88 percent from the rest which you know being a Tulsa resident I would normally say you know that's Tough for you, you know. We'll wear our masks here and be good. But unfortunately, there are only two major hospital centers um, in Oklahoma. Two major cities that have robust um, hospital networks, and those are Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Um, there, the hospitals are all full here. Not because um, Oklahoma City and Tulsa residents are just filling the hospitals. It's because the suburbs are not wearing masks and they are filling our hospitals because if you get sick in Bigsby, you don't, you know, go to the Bigsby ICU, you go to Tulsa. And so then you take our hospital space. So unfortunately, um, we're, we're in a bad situation with that. Um, we did see our all-time high for Sunday covid positives today at 1349 last week we talked about our all-time high for sunday sunday is usually very low reporting day Mm -hmm. um we broke a thousand for the first time last week and now we're already at 1349 that's like a 40 percent increase over one week um unfortunately also um the covid numbers will be especially bad next week they weren't quite as bad this week in tulsa they were horrible we're all we're on you know the um White House's coronavirus task force's um, point of no return, you know, read across the entire state, um, implement statewide mask ma- mandates immediately and start shutting things down, um, which state is, of course, ignoring. But um, that's what the White House is telling us to do. And this is a White House that doesn't necessarily believe in COVID, but they're saying we got to do something now. Um And that is based off the numbers this week, which if you're in Oklahoma, you know that the western half of the state, including Oklahoma City, um, did not have power all week. And so schools were out and people were at home without power. Um, Probably not high priority to go get tested or go spread the COVID when nobody has power. So power's back on, time to get back to spreading. If we're hitting 1349 when half the state has no power, that's... Very troubling for this week coming up. But anyway, we'll see where it goes. Long story short, vote out, Cass if you are in City Council District 5.
1: Well, And just to end on one uh, one bummer uh, here uh, for everybody. Uh, according to projections from the Institute for Health uh, Metrics and Evaluation, by December 28th, 2,711 people will be in the hospital with COVID. By December 9th, Oklahoma will be averaging around 5,000 new COVID cases a day at the current trends. This was a report that came out uh, two days ago, or, or last week, I believe, is when this, the report came out. Um, so, that is
2: astronomical. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, we're I certainly, don't think
1: that. We're, we're, we're certainly going to see spikes. Uh, we'll see Halloween spikes. We will see, you know, we, we saw the sort of fall break spike. Uh, you know, all these events. Thanksgiving. Spikes. Yeah. Thanksgiving is going to be a huge spike. I honestly don't know. I think that most schools will be shutting down after Thanksgiving, uh, which they should just be shut down anyway. Um, if,
2: if the numbers are anywhere, if they're half of what the your projection. Yeah. Then, yeah, schools will be shut down. And um, yeah, because we're at capacity at our hospitals now and we're averaging like 1200 cases a day so if you quadruple your case count over the next month your hospitalizations will quadruple and we're at capacity so Expo Square pavilion will be a probably a um, makeshift hospital um, any any large building the problem is unfortunately we still have some beds left but there's not medical staff to work those beds so, I guess you might as well just go check into the Holiday Inn and stay in a bed there because we don't have medical staff to treat you, unfortunately. (laughs) So where are you,
1: All right, well, let's, let's get out of here on a happier note. On a happier note, it is November. Hopefully this is a good week. And hopefully when you remember, remember the 5th of November, you can remember and celebrate a new president and Alan Belsky's birthday. On the 5th of November, which I learned by using that website that has your birthday and all your personal information (laughs) on it. So pretty much everything short of your social.
0: (laughs) I will say there have been years past, and this year will be one of them, probably where it's been hard to celebrate my birthday because of the uncertainty of the election. And I think that this year, although I will be eligible to become president on that day, um, people who know things, I'm not going to say how old I am going to be, but you know now. Uh, Yes. But... Yeah, not going to be celebrating gonna, until he's out of there.
2: Wait, you're going to be – so judging by this year, I'm guessing – I haven't done the research, but I'm guessing you have to be 75 to be president. So yeah. are you going to be 75? I mean, wow.
1: No, it's great. Well, Impressive. all right, guys. Uh I just wanted to say this. Uh, if you've listened to this, then you should tune in on Tuesday night. There will be live stream uh, election coverage on facebookcom Soundstooth, SoundstoothNow.com, which takes you to our Twitch, and I believe also onto our YouTube page. Uh, will all be live streamed. That will be hosted most likely by myself and uh, the host of uh, Spare Some Change podcast, Landry Miller. Uh, speaking of failed city council candidates, uh, that's a shout out to you, Landry. Nope, nope, <laughs> I rephrased it. He successfully ran for city council. I mean, he he did successfully run for city council. So, didn't win, but he successfully ran. So there you go. Uh, accomplished running. Good job. He was successful
2: in his attempt to run for
1: city yes. council. Yeah, he ran, which looking at us is something that we don't do. So right, you know. So there you go. Uh, but all right, guys. But yeah, you also check that out on the Facebook. Uh, just check out all of our other podcasts. Uh, big shout out to all uh, everybody that's been listening. The uh, network hit 175,000 monthly RSS subscriptions. So uh, a big milestone uh, for us out there. Uh, So we need to uh, keep that growing and, and going. So thank you guys very much for listening. And as always, be safe and make good decisions.